Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. We're always at war. John 10, 10, the thief comes only, Satan, to steal, kill, and destroy. So you're going to see that over and over again, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, God, have come that they might have life, have it to the full. So there's those two kingdoms, kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. Every person is in one of those two kingdoms. And that makes the war personal. It's kind of fascinating to read the stories in the Old Testament of the various wars and intrigue that the Bible recounts. What's often missed in the telling is the concurrent spiritual battles that are happening. Once in a while, as in the books of Daniel and Job, the curtain is pulled back and you are shown how events look from God's perspective, but usually you're left to speculate on such things. Pastor Mark will be teaching about the fact of the spiritual war that is going on between God's kingdom and the kingdom of Satan, and how the events in 2 Samuel display the characteristics of those two kingdoms. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 3, as he continues his series called The Life of David. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 3. We're doing a study on the life of David, which in many ways, there's a lot of great things. He's kind of like the life of the Lord. There's some things that are obviously very different. We've seen those recently. So 2 Samuel chapter 3, I encourage you to take notes if you do. Principles that God will speak to us as we go through the Word of God. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 6. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Recently, I read this little bit of history. The United States' first law prohibiting illegal drugs was passed in 1914, but it wasn't until June 17, 1971, that the term war on drugs was officially used. It took almost 60 years to realize that our nation, in fact, was fighting a war against the proliferation of substances deemed harmful, obviously, and therefore illegal. Sometimes, as we go through the scripture, notice in that first 
verse number six, the second and third words in are during the war. It's obvious war was a part of the Old Testament. Much more physical in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, the Philistines, all the Amicalites and West Melbourneites and all those people you remember we've been talking about. It was much more that way physically in the Old Testament. As we move to the New Testament, it's still war, but there's a change. It's a little more, obviously, in the churches, in the spiritual realm. We'll see lots more in the life of David as we go through the chapters. And one of the things we have to stop and remember is this, is Satan is trying to keep David from being king over all of Israel, just like Satan was trying to keep Jesus from being born and then going to the cross. The actual war is far greater and As we see the Old Testament, the war in the Old Testament and the war in the New Testament, Old Testament more physical, certainly spiritual, New Testament some physical, certain parts of the world tonight definitely physical, but more spiritual, but it all began in the Garden of Eden. I don't need you to turn there, you remember this, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel." So what is the war tonight? It'd be nice now that Osama bin Laden is killed. We see in the paper like, well, let's bring the troops home. We're going to be back at peace again. How many know we're never going to be at peace again? It's just not going to happen. But see, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, I know that, Pastor Mark might even say that. That's stupid. But the part we forget very often is we're never going to be at peace. We're always at war. Well, Pastor Mark, it's been a tough week. Do I have to hear about this, really? Uh, Yeah, you do, because it's in our scripture. Remember, just turn to me one verse, and we'll be right back. You know it by heart, but it's good for you to see it, what this looks like. First thing to write tonight is this. The real war, who is it? God battling Satan. The real war. If you will, turn to John chapter 10, verse 10. You know it by heart, but it's good for you to go back there and see it plainly and clear what the Scripture is saying to us. When you get there, we see this amazing two kingdoms that haven't changed. There's all kinds of kingdoms. We pull out of Iraq. Now we're not sure what in the world we're going to do in Pakistan. Who knows what's going to happen in Afghanistan When we get to Revelation, we discover that all kinds of nations of the world... I remember when I was in Berlin as an exchange student many years ago, in 1960, before the wall went up, I used to go over to East Berlin. It was nothing. You just got on the subway, went over to East Berlin. Then 61, the wall went up. Of course, the wall came down, and communism was kind of dead. But guess who's going to be there in the book of Revelation? Russia again. China again. So we're always at war. John 10.10, the thief comes only, Satan, to steal, kill, and destroy. So you're going to see that over and over again, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, God, have come that they might have life, have it to the full. So there's those two kingdoms, kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. Every person is in one of those two kingdoms. And that makes the war personal. 
The war is very personal. Now, for you, the United States at war, if one of your family members is there, is very personal. But really, it's personal for all of us. And the same thing spiritually. And so one of the things we have to remind ourselves is this, that we are never out of that warfare. It is always there. You see, the moment you became a Christian, you changed kingdoms. Satan didn't mind you before because you're in his kingdom. But the minute you change kingdoms, that's where the war really began. And it never ends because he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's why the new believers, we, we really have to pray for the new believers. We really have to be encouraging them. That's why the 101 and the 201 and one, all the way up to the 701, we have a 701 getting ready to start. I have more to say about that probably this weekend. But that's why you're here tonight. By the way, thank you. You're here. We're studying the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Now, you remember Mark chapter 4. This is extra credit. Mark chapter 4, when you go there, you see that seed thrown along the wayside. There's four different kind of conversions, but really probably only one of them took. Three of the four didn't really take. Why is that? The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. In fact, one of those areas, I haven't read it for a while, but one of those areas, the enemy comes and takes away the word that was sown. He's come to steal it. So as you're here tonight, don't turn off because the enemies will try to distract you with all kinds of other things as we're going through this. Now, unlike Iraq and Afghanistan, um, most of our war here is spiritual that's taking place. The real battle is spiritual. And because of that, it's invisible. It's not normally felt by our natural senses, taste, sight, smell. It's, it's, it's spiritual. So I want you to write this down, and then I'm going to talk about a couple things. Because David's in this. You're going to see it's very physical, and sometimes he's unaware of what's really taking place. We are in the middle of an ongoing spiritual warfare. You're in the middle of it. It never, ever ends. And because of that, we have to be alert. Paul wrote it like this, 2 Corinthians 2, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are very familiar with his evil schemes. And I'll show you some of those schemes as we go through tonight. Now, you have to understand tonight that the Satan goes on the offensive the minute you change kingdoms, and you are at war against all the forces of hell. And here's something we have to be reminded of. Without God's help, you will never defeat Satan. I am not strong. I don't care how many years you've been a believer. Without God's help, you and I cannot defeat Satan. Now, we do know as we be going through this that overcoming Satan's temptations and demonic influence doesn't just happen once. Remember, there's three kinds of salvation. We have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. Now make sure you understand that. That doesn't mean well, I thought I could know. You can. Absolutely you can know. We have been saved. Justification. First one, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. What was the penalty of sin? Spiritual death. We've been saved for that. We're done, finished, redeemed, headed to heaven. But now we're in the sanctification stage. How long does that last? Until you breathe your last breath. What are we saved from during that thing? We're saved from the power of sin. Romans 6, 7, and 8. 
I don't have to give in to the enemy. I have God in me, the spirit in me, so I can defeat him. And then eventually when we get to heaven, could I hear an amen when we get to heaven? Hallelujah. It's glorification. We're going to be like he was, he is. And what does that mean? There is no sin. So we're saved from the presence of sin. That's the reason you and I will be perfect. Until then, look at us. We're at war. You're at war. And we have to understand through all of that. Now, so the ruler of the air, Satan, is there. And he knows how to defeat us. What does he defeat us with? Good reminder for you tonight. He said, Pastor Mike, I've heard all this stuff. Yeah. Are you living it? Do you understand it? Satan comes against us. There's three enemies against us. The world, that's the world system. Everything in the world system is to take you away from God. The world, our flesh, that's the old you and me. It's still there. That's the battle inward. And the last one is Satan himself. So we battle against the world, the world system. Romans chapter 12, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold so you begin to think just like the world. No, be renewed in your thinking. And then, of course, the old flesh. I can say no to this. Fruit of the Spirit versus the flesh. And then last, Satan. Now, Satan's a difficult one because sometimes we get discouraged. But I was reading the other day and I heard somebody say it. I liked it a lot. When Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him. So just, this is a good thing for you just to put in mind. Number one, Satan is not the equal of God. God always wins. That was definitely a place for an amen. Because if he doesn't, we must just go home. God always wins. In the end, he'll get his way. He'll absolutely always get his way. But in the meantime, think of it. He said, Pastor Mark, there's demons everywhere. Yeah, look at this. There's two angels for every demon. How about those odds? I'll take that to the bank tonight. Two angels for every demon. So you don't have to be discouraged tonight, but you have to be smart. And so as we go through this, 1 John 3, 8 just gives us another warning. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. In other words, if, if people say, I got saved, but there's no change in the lifestyle, never really happened. That's in that Mark chapter 4 that Satan just came and took it away. It shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. So on the cross, ultimately, Jesus defeated sin, hell, and the grave. And so we win the war. But let's go back to our passage and see how Satan steals, kills, and destroys not so much for us physically, but definitely spiritually. Now back to chapter 3, verse 7. Now Saul had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why did you sleep with my father's concubines? Now in the East, back in those days, in the ungodly kings, uh, the wives and concubines of the king were really passed on to the successor. It was a normal thing. And this is, this is why you begin to see the thing that I just mentioned to you about the world system. It was a normal thing in pagan worlds to have lots of wives and to have lots of concubines. That made you powerful. Of course, sometimes you took many wives from other kingdoms, 
the king's daughter over here and the king's over here. Solomon fell into that, you remember. So you're trying to build your kingdom up and the world's squeezing you in. How many wives did Osama bin Laden have? Who knows? We know more than one, don't we? Many. So as you see this, in those days, when the king changed, he died, the harem, the the wives and the, the concubines went with the successor. So this concubine should have been whose? Ishbosheth shouldn't have been anybody's really, but Saul was sinning. So what happens? Abner, who's the the head of the army, he comes in, commits sexual sin, and what does that signify? That he's making a move to be in control of the northern tribes. Remember, David only has the south tribe, Judah. Abner, supposed to be the guy that's well, he's the power behind everything. He's put Ishbosheth in, which he doesn't have the ability. And so, but there's a confrontation here. Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? So, Abner, verse 8, was very angry because of what Ishbosheth said. And he answered, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day, I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David. Yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman. May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul, and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba, north to south. Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. So here we begin to see the real power. We begin to see what's really happening. Israel's weakness is apparent. In the north, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, he has no power. He has no ability. He's definitely not the right kind of a leader. Abner had his clear designs on what was going to happen. When they begin fighting, all of a sudden, Abner shows his real strength. He gets angry, decides he's going to go, forget you, I'll show you power. I'm going to bring the whole kingdom to David. Watch me. Again, a prideful thing. Verse 12. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, whose land is it? Make an agreement with me and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. And I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Let's stop and think about that for a moment. Does God need any help? Abner doesn't get it. By the way, David isn't trying to bring the kingdom over. He's waiting on God. David did a lot of things wrong. That was the right way. He wasn't trying to make it happen. But somebody else is trying to make it happen. God didn't need any of this. But you'll see how he works it out. Verse 13. Good, said David. I will make an agreement with you. Sounds pretty good with me. The war stopped. There's no more killing. That's a good thing. The civil war. Well, good. If you're willing for me to do what God's already called me to do, I'll take it. But I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Now, then David sent messengers to Ithbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife, Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband, Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Beharim. Then Abner said to him, go back home. So he went back home. 
That's like as the world turns or something there is what that's kind of like. Whatever. God help us. Channel 6 forever. You can read in four weeks later, nothing changes. It's still going on. Now, when you look at David, I mean, let's just talk about this for a moment. Abner, true to, the, true to that threat, notifies David. Hey, I'd like to bring the two kingdoms together. David says, okay, on one condition. You've got to bring my wife, Saul's daughter, back to me. Now, remember, she was David's first wife. That was kind of a thing Saul did. And when David began running from Saul, because Saul was trying to kill him, all of a sudden, Saul took Michael away from David when he was gone and gave her to another man to be married. So why did David put this part of the bargain deal in? Here he's breaking up another marriage. Let me ask you a question. Did David really need another wife? Many people look at this and think that David did it for a bad reason. We can't judge. I don't know. Maybe David did it for political reasons. Because his wife would have been Saul's daughter. So people are thinking, well, what do you have right to have it? No, I married the daughter, and it's, it's okay. There's nobody else to take it over, and here I am. So verse 17, Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, For some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it. For the Lord promised David, By my servant David I will rescue my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. And he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin wanted to do. Now when Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner, at this great feast, said to David, Let me go at once and assemble all Israel for my lord the king, so that they may make a compact with you, and that you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. So you know who the power is there. The power is Abner. His political power was there. He convinces the 11 tribes up north. He says, you know who's supposed to be king? David. So he convinces them, and he comes down, makes a covenant with David, and submits himself to David, and basically submits himself to God. Now, the king knew this was right. The people knew that David was to be their king. So now we have peace in the nation. Civil war is done. Even though it's done with a a funky way, it is peaceful. It is done. And that's what God wanted. So the nations are no longer going to be, you'll see, civil war. So God's will was done there. Now look at verse 22. Just then David's men and Joab returned. Remember, Joab is the army general for David. Just then David's men and Joab returned from a raid, the Philistines, the enemies, and brought with them a great deal of plunder. But Abner was no longer with David in Hebron because David had sent him away and he had gone, notice this, in peace. In today's message, Pastor Mark reminded you of the spiritual war that's behind all of these stories you're being taught. It's important to consider when you're tempted to misbehave, as Abner did in becoming Ishbothcheth's puppet master, who the actions ultimately serve. Do they serve God or do they serve his enemy? Make your choices wisely. 
There's so much to learn from Pastor Mark's current series, so be sure to join us again. In the meantime, we'd like to offer you a CD copy of today's message for your own archives or for you to share with friends and family. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on Order a Message at the top of the page. There you'll be asked for the mailing information and be sure to include today's date. Each CD costs $5 to cover materials and shipping. Again, to order your CD copy, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue telling and teaching on the story of David's life. You'll hear about what was going on in the Northern Kingdom as Abner worked on a deal with David. You'll be taught about forgiveness and, more importantly, unforgiveness. You will hear about the danger of allowing unforgiveness to fester in your life and hear what can result from that corrosive poison. Well, we've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series called The Life of David. That's next time on Lessons for Living. in a hurting world a new hope he is giving